I've asked Kristen to come up this morning. It's Memorial Day weekend. Um, we love those who have served, and we love the families of those who have served. And so Kristen is here to pray uh, on their behalf. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, my husband um, couldn't be here right now. He'll be coming later. So we talked a little bit about it, and uh, this is kind of a big deal for us. So if you've followed us at all, you know, my husband was injured in Iraq, and he has a brain injury. Um, Memorial Day is a really special weekend for us, and I know for a lot of people. So if you'll just pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the people that you've brought into this world so that they could protect our country and our, our friends and our family. Lord, I know that Memorial Day can be a, you know, a great time for people to come together and celebrate with their families, and we continue to hope that to be true. But Lord, for the people that are hurting today in the families of the people that have passed away in, in war and they've paid the ultimate sacrifice, Lord, I just ask you to bring just nothing but peace to these people's hearts for the families, the, the, the wives, the husbands, the children that are without their loved one today on this weekend, Lord, I just ask you to just put your arms around them and just give them nothing but peace. And Lord, I just, I ask you honestly to just intervene in the lives of veterans and of the military like you did for my husband and I. Just show yourself to these people when they need you the most. The way that you worked in our lives has been unbelievable, and I know that we have a purpose here and that that is what you are using us for, is to help other veterans in military. So, Lord, today I just ask you to hold everybody, we just hold everybody up to you, and we ask you to show yourself to them so they become closer to you. For the people that are serving now and aren't home with their families, I just ask you, Lord, to just show yourselves to them, give them peace, peace of heart, Keep them safe. And we just thank you for all that you've done for our family and will continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Raise your hand if you or anyone in your family has ever served. Yeah. Memorial Day is a great reason, a great day to rejoice and to remember and to reflect upon those who have, just like Kristen said, given the ultimate sacrifice and those who continue to serve today and especially the wives, the husbands, the children who go without their loved ones so that they can serve. So if you were, were here last week, if you listened to the message online, we've kind of set out a roadmap for the next couple of weeks. We started in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, and we're going to end in Galatians chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through 16. Big chunk of scripture, rather than taking it all in at one time, we're going to take it in little bites. What ends up happening in that discourse is what Paul is doing is he's reflecting upon and sharing with the Galatian church three experiences that he has had. I praise God that Paul shared the things that he went through. I'm the type of guy that I, I want to see how things work. I want to see someone else do it. I want to see the best way to do it. I want to see if there's a way to improve upon uh, the way that it's been done for a long time. I, I praise God that Paul was willing to put himself out there. Last week, we read about Paul's sin. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. 
That means number one, the sinner out in front. He didn't see, look up out on the world and say, they're all bad, they're all sinners. He looked at them all as a collective group, said, we're all sinners, fallen short of the grace of God, of which I am the chief, I am the first, I am the worst. Paul was not going to hide his sin. He wasn't going to celebrate his sin. He's not giving, you know, his story of the glory days of when he used to do this and do that. He shares a very blunt and frank story about when he used to kill Christians. We gloss over this way too quickly. Put yourself in the early church. You're going to church. Things are a little scary. You know, folks are folks are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Every week you have folks coming in who are giving their lives to Jesus, but then their families are abandoning them. Their families are rejecting them. Jobs are firing them. They're losing their livelihoods. And they're coming in and there's, there, there's, this, there's this message of hope and of power and of glory in Jesus. But then there's this also very real fear that exists. And you hear about a man named Saul of Tarsus who's going around killing. He has orders by the religious elite to kill, to kill Christians and to stop what they called the way. Then all of a sudden the story comes out that he's been converted. The guy who's been killing us is now on our team. That, that's mind-boggling that on a Sunday morning you see this man walk in and you, it's, it's Saul. And now he's calling himself Paul, but I recognize him. He's got those buggy eyes. I can, I can see him from a mile away, and apparently he can see me from a mile away with those eyes. So he comes walking in. Imagine the fear instantaneously. The There's Paul. Paul could have hid that away. Paul didn't have to share this story. This is a story that m- most likely was shared before the book of Acts, meaning the time where the, the physician Luke wrote down the account of Acts that includes Paul's conversion. So Paul is more than ready to share that experience. And he shares how even in his sin that God was glorified. Paul didn't sin so that God could be glorified. That's a dumb plan. If your plan is, I'm going to sin so God receives glory by giving me grace, that's a dumb plan, okay? It's not a biblical plan. It's It's a dishonest plan, and that's not the plan we're talking about. We're talking about the sin we've committed that we can't change, the past that is there, can even be redeemed for your good and the good of others. And that's what we saw happen with Paul. Paul went to Galatia, started churches, and and they glorified Jesus because of Paul's sin, because of who he was and, and who he had become. Only God could do something that drastic. Only God could change someone like that. So now he moves on to a second experience with the church. And because it's the, it's the time before social media and text messaging and email and, and internet, um, it's a 14-year gap. It's a long time. 14 years is a long time. 14 years in front of us seems a lot longer than 14 years behind us, but 14 years is still 14 years. So today's sermon, if my clicky thing is up, it's not even on. All right, Dan, pull that up when you get a chance. <laughs> there we go. Unity. Uniformity, division. All three of these play a major role in what we do as Christians. And what I find is there are times where we're supposed to unite and we divide. And there's a time for uniformity, but 
we abuse it or we use it wrongly, and then it leads to division. Then there's a time where we should be dividing and we stick together. We've got to get these in the right place and in the right perspective, or we're going to end up going the wrong direction. And so what I'm hoping is that through the experience that Paul has shared with us, we would be united in the gospel, and uh, we would see the benefits of uniformity and division as well, and not see these as necessarily good or bad, but see them in their biblical sense so we know when to do them and when not to do them. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. While you're turning there, Galatians 1 and 11 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. Gospel is, is good news, good message. Um, humans have a good message. Make a lot of money, get a lot of power, avoid a lot of people. That's, that sort of seems to be the MO of what I, I see in the media at least. And folks that I meet, I want to have a lot of money because then my problems will go away. I want to have a lot of power so then people can't hurt me. I want to avoid people because they're the ones that primarily hurt me. I want stuff so I can be happy. And that's man's gospel. I want to be forgiven of everything and have justice for everything else that happens that I do, or excuse me, that is done to me. I want my enemies punished, but I myself, I want grace and mercy. That's man's gospel. Paul says, that's not the gospel I'm receiving. Nor is it a variation of the gospel of Jesus. He hasn't received any ism. He hasn't received any kind of you know, blank theology or blank gospel, fill in the blank, pro- poverty uh, gospel, prosperity gospel. He hasn't received any of that. He's received the pure gospel of Jesus. It was, for him, his experience was pretty grand. I find that the, the probably a bad way to look at this, and I'll say that right up front, but the worse of a sinner that you are, it seems as though the experience of salvation just catapults tremendously. Like I was killing the church and then Jesus met me on this road to Damascus and he blinded me for three days. And that's a pretty drastic uh, separation and difference between experience and, and who they are as a sinner. And it's not always like that. It's not a rule or a law, but you tend to see that. I was I was I, I dealt drugs and I was in a gutter and I was so addicted and then I, I saw Jesus in a vision and I, I gave my life to him and I battled addiction and now I help other people going through that same addiction. I mean you see hear these drastic stories. It doesn't make their story any uh, better or authentic than your own. You know, I share my story. My journey begins at twelve years old at a Bible at a at a midweek service in Bakersfield, California. And and, and most people when I say that they they you know quote the Scripture in the Gospels. Can anything good come out of Bakersfield, California? No, nothing good. Buck Owens, that was pretty much it. So <clears throat> while my story doesn't have a lot of fireworks and flair, that's my story, okay? Um, but Paul is sharing his, his experience, what has happened with him, and what Jesus told him, and the gospel that he knows. He's already warned the church, if you've heard a different gospel, not the gospel. The, the church is just maybe, maybe 20 years old at this point. We're looking at 2,000 years of experience. They've got 20. And false gospel has already infiltrated. You find throughout the letter, Paul is calling out men who have come in with this false, false theology, this false gospel, and, and changed it and warped it and tainted it. And Paul's coming back in to scrape that all away and start over from the beginning. And so that's why we've entitled this The Return of the Gospel. Galatians 2 and 1. If this is too small for you, 
bring a Bible. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set, uh, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. This is a good idea. Okay, here's what Paul did. I've got this message, but I can't be this rogue secret agent that goes out all by myself. I'm going to go to the uh, supposed leadership. I'm going to give them the gospel I'm preaching to make sure I'm not preaching something crazy. Okay, and many times when you find men and women on television, radio, internet who preach what seems like a crazy gospel, many times there is no accountability. They aren't checking their their gospel against anything. They're not, they don't have men and women who will tell them, hey, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's in the Bible. I don't think that that should be taught, at least not in that way. Let's converse. Let's talk. Paul is being held accountable voluntarily. He's going before these men to say, hey, here's the message I'm preaching. Am I doing this correctly? A lot of humility, a lot of, I mean, because he has that experience, but man is sinful and left to our own devices, sometimes, I'm just saying sometimes, we don't make the right choices. And we, we preach or we talk or we share out of arrogance and pride and self-righteousness rather than out of humility and out of, a, out of a sanctified heart. And so Paul submits himself to this authority or this, this accountability. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Just a bit of a spoiler alert. Men are coming in and saying, yes, Jesus is all great in that, but you've got to be circumcised too. And so Paul is saying, I brought this man Titus, and they didn't command for him to be circumcised. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might pre be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I love that verse, by the way. I, I, I'm not easily starstruck. Not that I go around meeting people that are anything, but I love that Paul's going before men like Peter, James, and John. He's like, I don't care who you are. I'll hold myself accountable to you. I'll make sure I'm preaching the right thing, but you're not rock stars. We're all in this together. We're all doing the same job. You might be influential, but God shows no partiality. Uh, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised, and they to the circumcised. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good, and that's a big chunk of your word. Ten solid verses, and all I pray today, Lord, is that we would see the truth of the gospel in it, that we would see your son, that he be high and lifted up, and all men may be drawn into him. Lord, as I preach, I pray that this is what you want said, um, and that the people would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive the glory of your son, Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. So 
This is experience number two for Paul. A lot of scripture, a lot of things. We could preach out of this for a few weeks, but we're going to try to condense it and get out of here in less than three hours. We're going to look at unity versus uniformity versus division. All of these have a place and a time where we have to have them. But I find that we are, when we're united, there are times where we should be actually divided. There are times where, where people are trying to force us to be uniform, all the same, when really all that is needed is unity. And so we've got to get those all in order so that we can pull off this thing called the gospel. So do you know what it means to be united? Do, bless you. Do you know what it means to be divided? Do you know what it means to be uniform? We're going to look at all three. Unity is pretty simple. Being united. United we stand and all that. Unity means being together, equal vision, equal goal, but not necessarily all the same. Uniformity includes unity, but we all are doing everything the same way. And divided is probably the easiest of the, of the bunch. It's a separation between a person and another person, a group and another group. First, we're going to look at unity. In verse 1, Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. As the text continues, you find that Paul is going to meet Peter, James, and John. They're sort of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like the big three. Um, They're first amongst equals is a popular way to put that. Um, They're the ones that usually always mentioned together. Uh, in the Gospels, Peter, James, and John, they're, on, they're at the Mount of Transfiguration. They're mentioned when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. They always seem to one, be the ones that pop up first. Um, as such, you see them being the ones that are sort of leading the thrust of the early church uh, behind the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so you have this unity between these men that are from all sorts of different walks of life. This unity that they have is all underneath the umbrella of the Gospel of Jesus. This is what we are striving for. Um, unity, Jesus is all about it. You go throughout the Bible, he's not really big on people who divide. For the sake of division, for just because, or because we have some silly petty argument. Division is kind of like divorce. It is not to be handled lightly. It's not something to be said flippantly. It should be handled with uh, with a, a, a preciousness, with a lot of grace, very rarely. But there is a time and a purpose. So with unity, the Bible's big on being united. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has this whole discourse about the body of Christ. And it's this way that Paul uses to describe to us how the kingdom of God is set up, how, how God is building his kingdom, and how he uses people to do it. Let me ask you a real quick question. What is your part in the body of Christ? I know my part. And because we're sort of smaller and we don't have a large staff, I tend to, do, I tend to have to do parts that I'm not really made for. Things like making flyers. I'm not the best at making flyers, making bulletins. Many of you are like, last church I went to had a bulletin and had a bunch of stuff. Yeah, because that's something way down at the bottom of the list. Up at the top of the list, preaching, teaching, counseling, ministering, uh, music. Um, but even that, music, I'm finding that in recent weeks it's starting to, it's starting to find uh, not, the, not a backseat, um, but I'm finding physically 
that my arm is going numb while I, while I, while I play. And also like two songs in, I'm like ready to preach. Like, let's, I'll just start the sermon now. Like, we'll just sing another time. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's keep singing. I believe that the Lord wants to keep going and things like that. But in all that, it's things that maybe I'm not meant to do forever, but they have to be done. And there are people who will come in and will do things like play music, play instruments, teach Bible studies, do things like that. Until then, me and my wife and many of you are filling in those gaps. So those people step up and, and do that thing. Um, but what's your part? And if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <clears throat> in verse 12, write that down because I'm just going to start reading. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Some of us might be the hand. Some of us might be the foot. Others might be the leg. The point is, is that everybody, everybody has a part to play in the church. You might say, well, Pastor Tony, I need to do this. I need to do that. No, no, no. You have a part to play in the church. But I don't know what I can do. I don't know what you can do either. Let's figure that out. Well, I can't do multimedia ministry. Okay, well, let's, let's see if Kristen and Justin need help with the children. Yeah, but I don't like kids. Okay, well, maybe you like making coffee on a Sunday morning. And I know lots of people who come in and they smell the coffee and they're like, oh, I didn't have time to stop. I can get myself a cup. I can chug it real quick to make it through Tony's long sermon. I, I, thank you so much. That would be awesome. Maybe, maybe you're like, I just have no talents, and you're, you're, you're prideful, and you're just like, I have no talents, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay, well, then can you push a vacuum? Because you do this. Does your arm work like that? No. What about this arm? Okay, then maybe you can vacuum. Dusting. I know lots of people who aren't called to dusting but do it anyways. They're usually called moms and wives because they're the only ones that care about dust. The rest of us men have, have this much dust and type of stuff and just – that's our dusting. If we haven't touched it, why do we got to clean it? So can you do that? Can you do this? Well, you know, I, I'm not a people person. Okay, maybe you want to run sound with Dan. He's probably sleeping right now, and that's okay. Maybe I've been, I've been gearing Dan to build a team back there. If you're one of those people who wants to be behind the scenes and don't want a lot of recognition, um, being part of the sound team is a really good opportunity for you. Don't be intimidated by all the knobs and buttons. Dan knows what they all do, and he will tell you. Maybe, maybe you really – you. hey, Dan. Maybe, maybe you play music. You play an instrument, you, uh, an instrument rather. Maybe you know how to hit those bongos that just sit there. Maybe, maybe you know how to play guitar. You actually play at home all the time, but you're afraid. Or maybe you play piano. I, I, I need you to come to me. Now, I can – I know some of you. Some of you come to me in a roundabout way, and I say, okay, let's do this. And then you disappear. Like It's like, okay, let's go do something, and then you're gone. Like, oh, man, that, that was short-lived. All I want you to do is come to me and say, you know what, Pastor Tony? Here's what I got. Let's work with this. Um, I find that God does more with fishes and loaves than men can do with a banquet. That God can do more with just a little bit of talent. Than, than a whole room full of, of people who are so professional and, and, and full of themselves. That God can take people with just a humility to do something, and they can be used harmoniously to, to spread the gospel and to, to preach the message of Jesus to a sick and dying world. 
Here's one problem we have, though. We're so focused on and have dressed up uh, our sins um, so that they look Christian rather than, uh, rather than dying to them, that we're, we're focused on ourselves. We're so inward focused, we, we lose the outward focus towards other people. And I'm not saying that you don't have stuff that needs to be healed or fixed or, or, or maintained or whatever, but I find that they kind of go together, that you heal as you move, you heal as you work. And there are times to sit and there's time for sabbaticals, but there's times to get, get into it and get your hands dirty again and begin to work again and to see the healing process that comes just by serving and looking outward rather than solely inward. It's not necessarily a either or. It's a yes and. It's an inward and an outward. What is God doing with me and what is he doing with me to other people? So we can't, we can't just look at us and say, oh, we're, I'm, no, I'm not this. I'm not a theologian. I'm not this. Some of the men who have written the best books, uh, including books of the Bible, were not learned men. They didn't spend a lot of years in seminary, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is don't let that be intimidating to you. Don't let that be a, a stumbling block to you. Unity culminates with... And the importance of it culminates with the Trinitarian God that we serve. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see a unity in them. It's our model, if you will. Just real quick, anytime we're going we're gonna to copy or, or use someone as our model, we use Jesus. We use God. We don't look at a person. We don't look at a, a holy man, quote unquote. We look at Jesus. When we've been going through this leadership series on Wednesday nights, he's been our role model. What's a prophet look like? Look at Jesus. What's an apostle look like? Look at Jesus. What's an evangelist look like? This Wednesday, spoiler alert, we're going to look at Jesus. When we get to shepherds and teachers, Jesus. He is our chief example. The only bad example he is is how to sin because he never did that. But he's a really good example for everything else. Together, we are united with Jesus in this thing called the Great Commission. We are on mission together. Maybe you don't know that. I'm here to tell you today that you are on mission with me and with Jesus to go and to preach the gospel. What is, what is your role and what is your goal? I have this goal that everybody in Canastota would get saved. And you say, ah, Pastor Tony, psh, you just haven't been around long enough to realize that's a dumb dream and nobody's going to get saved but the ones who are already saved. At least that's what Satan tells me. Some 6,000 uh, people in this town, my ultimate goal is for all of them to get saved and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that grandiose? Yeah. Is that realistic? Probably not. Is that God's endeavor? Yes. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to be united with him in his mission. And if he thinks it is possible that everyone would know him, that he would die for everyone so that all would have at least the opportunity to come to know him, then that's the plan I want to latch on to. I'm not going to be the one telling Jesus, Jesus, that's too grandiose. You, there's no way everybody's going to get, get saved. Have you met those people? They're not getting saved anytime soon. And I, and I marvel. I, I, wonder, I wonder who said that about me. I wonder, I, you know, my, my grandmother, she revealed to me that when I raised my hand at that, that appeal, she was shocked. She never thought that I would do that. But I was there, and I heard the message, and I raised my hand. And for many of you, there are people you've discounted. They'll never receive the gospel. They'll never hear. They're too far gone. Are they? 
you weren't too far gone. And unless you begin to argue against me in that, which will end up being pride, I would say take it back a notch and say, you know what? They are capable. Will it be a harder journey? Possibly. Will you have to invest more time? Yes, more than likely. But is it still possible? Yes. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to, uh, up to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is your part in that? Watching, observing, not part of the call. To be a unaffected, sideline, second string person? No. You are called, you are first string at something. You might not be first string pastor, preacher, evangelist, apostle, but you might be first string making fancy things up here on the, minute, the, the, the media thing. Maybe you do things like make crosses. Maybe you do things like put out flowers. Maybe you do things like vacuum carpets. Maybe you do things like play piano or play guitar or just sing and worship Jesus in a way that is anointed by God to do that. What is your part? Pastor Tony, I'm, I'm not worthy. Of course you're not. Nobody else is either. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for folks who want to be united with us to do the stuff they've been called to do. I praise God. There are some of you here who are doing stuff that maybe you're not quote-unquote called to do, but it needs to be done. And, and many times it goes overlooked and unnoticed, and I apologize for that. And I thank you right now that you do those things that I don't have to do them. But there is plenty. If there are however many people there are here today, there's that many jobs that are needed. There are that many things that could be done on a Sunday morning. And maybe you're not going to do the kids. Maybe you're not going to make the coffee, but there's something you can do. And I want you to be focused on what can I do? What have I, what am I, what do I do professionally? What is my hobby? What do I do that I have a passion for? Start there and see if God won't use that for the unification or the uniting of, of his body here in this place and in this time. So unity is different from uniformity. Uniformity gets a bad rap, and it gets a bad rap for a good reason. There are many churches, denominations, and groups who, who enforce uniformity. That is, everybody looks the same. Everybody says the same thing. Everybody reads the same books. Everybody reads the same text. Everybody reads the same version of the Bible. Everybody worships out of the same book. Everybody, you know, all the pastors and preachers preach the same thing on any given Sunday. And it gets abused. Here's how it gets abused. Let's say... Johnny Pastor comes in. He's from blank denomination. And he, in his denomination, they like to wear robes on a Sunday morning. And a big hat. Cool. Right on. Not keen on the big hat, but the robes cover up everything else. You can show up in your slippers and pajamas. Nobody's going to be the wiser because you've got a big robe on. Now, Johnny Pastor comes over and says, hey, Tony, how are you doing? Um, I notice you're not wearing robes and a hat. And I say, that's right, because I don't. And um, now here's where this is okay. 
That's great. We both preach Jesus, right? Yes. Good. Let's go preach Jesus in our own ways. I'll go with the big hat and robes. You go in the polo shirt and dungarees, and you go ahead and preach and preach and preach the gospel of Jesus. All right, that's good. That's okay. Here's where it goes bad. Johnny Pastor, who probably is called a priest or something, has the big hat, comes in with the robes and says, Tony, the message is, is okay, but you don't have a hat. You don't have a robe. You, you're not doing it right. You're anti-biblical. You're anti-Jesus. You're not doing this correctly. And I would simply say, if you can show me in the Bible where I should wear a hat or a robe or should do it in a specific way, then I would more than gladly abide by that. But I don't find that in the Bible. See, uniformity sometimes is used to just keep people in line and in check. And that's where people, especially in our day and age, which give me a second, I'll explain this in a minute, in our day and age, reject. Here's why. We've been sold individuality. We have divided so vastly. We have divided in so many different ways. We seek to find ways to divide, whether you're a Mac user or a Windows user or an, uh, an iPhone or an Android, or if you prefer Facebook over Twitter, or if you drive Ford over Chevy, or if you like the Dallas Cowboys or a real football team. We're divided over things. We're divided over things, and we like to divide over things. And the people who are divided over things, they divide over things. Well, I like, I like Chevy, but they don't make them like they used to, so I'm, I'm old-school Chevy. Well, I like new Chevy. Well, I like middle-of-the-road Chevy. I like Chevy trucks. Duh, you're just divided. Like, why can't you just be completely united? I like Keurig cups. I like regular coffee in a old container thing. I like a French press. I like diner coffee. I like Starbucks coffee. I like wasting my money. So it's just all, it's, it's a, we're divided. Can't it just be you love coffee? I mean, if you can't unite over coffee, what can you unite over? <laughs> uniformity gets a bad rap because there are folks who force uniformity and they preach uniformity as gospel. And they say, see, to worship Jesus, you must look the part, sound the part, and be the part. Or otherwise, you haven't, Jesus isn't even in the room. He hasn't heard nothing you've said because you don't, you don't say it the right way. You don't look the right way. You haven't come on the right day. And biblically speaking, that's wrong. But uniformity is not something that we should reject entirely. It can be redeemed. Here's the good news. We can develop our own modes of worship, our, our own traditions, and they're okay. For example, today we're going to take communion. The tradition here at this church is that we do it the last Sunday, maybe it's the first Sunday of every month, either way, this month, last Sunday of the month, at least once a month we take communion. Some folks will come and say, no, you must do it every Sunday. I've met people who say, I do it every day. It would be wrong of me to say, you should do it our way. You must do it once a month. You must do it on this day or at this time and in this way. Because in communion, we've been given some liberty as to when we will do it. The, the, the important thing is to remember Jesus when we do it. And when it comes to uniformity, oftentimes Jesus gets cast aside so that we can maintain the tradition. We didn't sing five songs today. We sang four. Okay, was Jesus worshipped? What does that matter? We didn't sing enough songs. Religion 
cares about how many songs are sung, not so much about who they were sung to. That's the problem with uniformity. It often leads to pride, self-righteousness, and ultimately legalisms and religion. If you've ever met anybody and if you've ever had those kind of rise up in you, you know how kind of repugnant they are. It's just, ugh. It's like going into a house and smelling something bad. It's like, oh, there's something wrong. Uniformity can be redeemed so that we can have our own traditions, but to enforce them upon other people is wrong. It's, it's also uh, a, a way for us to be different without being the same. Because we've all been told we're special, we're like a snowflake, no two are alike. Yeah, that's, there's some truth to that. And what our own culture has done is capitalized on that and sold us individuality. The Bible's called us not just individually, but collectively as well. There's a great need for us to be collective and together and united, hence the potlucks, hence the, the sermons, hence the worship time and music. It's us coming together with one common goal. And very rarely do you find even two people who have one common goal. It's very rare. I'm finding um, that as I've been called here to this place, we would call this sort of like a church replant. You know, a lot of things have happened over the last few years, and we're slowly building this back up. It's much more trendy nowadays to just go start your own church. If a church is dying, forget that church. Let's go start another one. Because I've been, we've been sold, hey, just go start your own thing. Well, what about churches that are already established? What about churches that are already doing something where God has already established something? Maybe ch some churches need to die. That's, maybe that's not God's church anymore. And that's okay if they die, okay? But don't throw them all out. I, I, I will say here with a straight face today that had I known now what I know then, I may, or excuse me, know now what I didn't know then, I may not have chosen to stay here. Because I should, everybody's starting their own church. We should start a church. It's the trendy thing to do. That's the fad. Let's start a church. Let's, let's start a grassroots thing and, 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 and take surveys and do all kinds of stuff in the community. I would not have considered a church that was already established. I praise God for the way he did things. I'm really happy to be here and will be here as long as the Lord will let me be here. I'm hoping that's a long time. So uniformity works if it's, if it's the truth first. If it's, a, it's, if it's a tradition that's not sinful or anti-biblical, um, then we're free to, to maintain that without enforcing that upon other people. New people come in. You know, First of all, if they're new and they've never heard the gospel and never been to church, everything's going to blow their mind. They're asking us for money. I've heard about this. Why are we drinking grape juice? Why is that guy yelling? Like the, Everything's going to be weird to them. But folks are going to come from other churches. I've had, this, I've had arguments in church. You should be wearing a suit. You should be wearing a suit. I don't want to wear a suit. I don't have to wear a suit. If, I, if you show up and I have a suit on, someone's getting married or someone's getting buried. I don't wear a suit unless I have to. You know how hot and humid it gets here? And I'm not built the way I used to be, so I get hotter faster. I want to wear this. Now I go to another church. Guy's wearing a suit. Beautiful. I mean, I like suits. I think they're great. I just, I just sweat a lot, so I don't want to wear them. But I see guys and they wear them and they look amazing. The shoes are shined. You know, they just, they've got their hair all perfect. It'd be wrong of me to go in there. Why aren't you wearing jeans and a shirt? What? Why? Why are you dressed so fancy? That'd be wrong of me. 
I'd be in sin at that point. I'd be enforcing uniformity in the name of Jesus where I have no liberty to do that. That being said, what happens when the lines cross, though? What happens when uniformity, we're not talking about that anymore. Now we're talking about bad doctrine. Now we're talking about bad theology. Now we're talking about spiritual abuse. Now we're talking about folks who are using the power given to them through the gospel to, to manipulate and abuse other people. What do we do then? See, this is where I find that people, instead of dividing, they become either uniform or united. And it's a time to divide. Go back to Galatians. Verse 5. To them, those who were coming in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There is a time to divide. It's not everything, okay? They took my parking spot. It's time to divide. No. They're sitting in my pew. It's time to divide. There's plenty of pews. Don't divide, okay? The pastor's not 60. I won't be for a while, praise God. You can't divide over that. That's not reason to divide. The pastor's stealing money. Okay, now we've got a problem. The pastor's teaching bad doctrine. Okay, now we've got, now we've got reason for concern. And we're not rash, and we're not flying off the handle and starting blogs and bad-mouthing everybody all around town. We're starting off by saying, hey, what's going on? Because I see something in the Bible that's not being taught by you, or I see you teaching something that I can't find in the scriptures. Well, I read it in this book. I heard it from this pastor. Yeah, but what about the Bible? Well, this is what we're going to teach. This is the way it's going to be. Here's the right hand of fellowship, as Paul will talk to you about in a minute, and I'm going to be on my way. There is a time to divide. I don't know of any other time in recent memory for at least me where I've seen more corruption in the church, um, more people being um, accused of things and actually being guilty of them. There's a time where if people are committing crimes, then we can depart from, we can divide from them. We should seek the Holy Spirit. We should follow after them, uh, follow after him rather, but we shouldn't be united for the cause of a man. We should be united for Jesus, and sometimes that calls us to divide. See, these men had come in to spy out the freedom that these men had in Jesus to find a way to put them into slavery. And Paul says we didn't tolerate them. We didn't sit down with them and have a discourse. We didn't find commonalities because they were dealing with circumcision. That's a big deal. Okay, if you're male, if you're female, I, I guess you're not even in the equation here. But for the men, this is this is something they're going to think hard about. And Paul says, no, that's not that's not what the scriptures say. That's not the gospel message that I have been told to preach. It doesn't involve the circumcision of the physical body. It involves the circumcision of the heart. And Paul says to them, we did not yield. There are too many times, bless you, there are too many times where men can come in and say whatever they want because they look the part, they sound the part. It, it feels like they're on the right team, but then they say something crazy. Oh, they say something so absurd, but you're so involved. This must be the truth. This must, this must be the gospel. And I don't have time to read my Bible, so I'm just going to take his word for it. And that's where you end up 
with a lot of pain. And maybe, just maybe, in those moments, it wasn't a time to unite. It was a time to divide. We can't look at everybody with paranoia. That's bad. We can't just, I can't walk into here on a Sunday morning and look at you all with a crazy eye. Like, what are you about to say? Huh? What? You? Huh? What? Are you going to say something bad about the Trinity? Are you going to say something bad about baptism? Are you going to say we should sprinkle instead of submerge? You're out of here! Like, I can't do that. I do my best to just listen to folks. Sometimes you guys tell me stuff and it's spot on. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes you say stuff and I have no idea what you're talking about. But I have to go back to the word and, and I, oh, okay. They knew more stuff than me. Who knew? Sometimes you guys say something and it's like, whoa. Not only is that wrong, I know where you heard it from. I know the pastor or preacher on television who said that and I know why it's wrong. And I'll show you why it's wrong if you want to hear it. Um, and for me, that's a time to divide. If, if, if sound doctrine is not being listened to and adhered to, then it's time to divide. Um, you, can, you can label it however you want, but it's a time to divide. Now, division is not to be taken lightly. Here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 6 and 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Right away, the word hate and abomination are involved. I think this is serious. 6 and 16, verse 17 says, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and ha hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and lastly, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren, or amongst the brothers. There are men, like these men that Paul is referring to, who will go into churches, and all they're trying to do is divide. Why? Because they want to take a chunk with them. Maybe they have their own ministry or their own crazy theology. Maybe they want to build up a name for themselves. So they go into churches, and they steal people. Um, and they generally steal the ones who aren't grounded. They, don't, they steal the ones who don't know the Bible. And so good luck with that. But number two, they, they don't usually fool or trick the ones who actually – reading the Bible because they'll come and preach some crazy weird theology and people are like, I haven't read all the Bible, but that sounds weird. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. And there's a time to divide. Now they come in, they sow discord. Jesus isn't big on that. There is times where we'll be in disagreement, but unity is more important. But there's a time where that disagreement involves heresy and an abomination like this here. And we must divide. And that's okay. That's okay. I believe that if, if the gospel I preach and the gospel that Paul has preached is the actual gospel, it will survive any fire. Any pressure that comes upon it, will it will last and it will stand because it's not my message. It's Jesus's message. Does that just make sense that Jesus's message will keep going? That my message, if it's faulty, it will fall away? That I will have to come and repent for it? But if it's Jesus's message, there'll be no need for repentance because it'll be the message that he preached? Now, here's, here's the, the kicker on all of this. Here's the part that we miss entirely because we become so inward focused. The last three points, whatever you want to call them, we've been very inward focused. What we lose is verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. We become so involved inwardly we forget there's a whole world out there that we're supposed to be serving, that we're supposed to be doing something. 
that we're not just called to just do, you know, rehash old stories. We're supposed to be going out and doing stuff right now. Paul and Peter and Barnabas and James and John and Titus and all these men, they've sat together, they've hashed out everything, they know where they're going, they know the people they're going to minister to, they're united, but they're not in uniformity. Okay, one's going to preach to the Gentiles, one's going to preach to the Gospels, but they all agree that they've got to serve, in this case, they've got to serve the poor. Remember the poor. When we become so inward focused, we forget to be outward focused. It's not either or, it's yes and. Inward focused and outward focused. Jesus changing me and Jesus working through me into others. Doing stuff for other people. James in chapter 2 says it like this, that faith without works is dead. If you come to me and say, I have faith in Jesus, but there's nothing after that, I'm going to repeat what James says, that that faith is dead. If you come and say something like James, I find this to be a very frank, blunt way to put this. I'll show you my faith by my works. James, Jesus' little brother says, here are my works. They testify to the greatness of Jesus. Not to the greatness of me, but to the greatness of him. I'll show you where my faith is. Some manipulate this and, and teach you to have faith in, in your desired outcome. Foolishness. It's to have faith in Jesus and what he's already done. You're sick? Have faith in Jesus. Not that you'll be healed. Have faith in Jesus. You're poor? You don't have enough money? Don't have faith in the economy. Don't have faith that you'll be, uh, you know, something will just fall out of the sky. Have faith that Jesus is going to take care of you because he's promised to. And that faith will work out in doing stuff, like ministering to the poor. Here's the problem we have, though. There are folks who, who don't want to preach the gospel. They just want to serve people. Now, serving is serving. A hungry, a hungry stomach is, 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 that is fed, that's good. Someone who has no money and somebody gives them money, that's okay. But it must start with the gospel and flow out of that. The work that you're doing will prove the testimony you have. It's not just one or the other. It's not just serving. It's not just preaching. It's preaching and serving. It's serving and preaching together. We can't leave off doing stuff. I'm not preaching that you get saved by doing stuff. I'm going to keep this just as simple as I can. Doing stuff doesn't get you saved. Doing stuff shows that you have saving uh, faith in Jesus already. So do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he has saved you? Do you believe that the gospel is the gospel? Then operate as though you believe that. One of my favorite illustrations, and I don't use these types of illustrations that often um, because I'm corny enough as it is. It's sort of a corny illustration, but so be it. It really works. So man is going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls, Okay. In California, when I share this illustration, no idea what I'm talking about. But you guys have a better understanding. He's going to walk a tightrope, uh, pushing a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. Another man says, I believe you can do it. And so the man with the wheelbarrow says, okay, then get in the wheelbarrow. Pastor Tony said, get in the wheelbarrow and try to cross Niagara Falls. That's faith. No, I did not. And we have this recorded. So the idea is if you believe something to be true, you will act upon that. 
If you believe that Jesus loves you, you will live as though Jesus loves you. How can Jesus love me? I don't know. I don't know how Jesus can love me. I just know that his word says that it does or that he does. I have to have faith in that. But I'm not worthy. Yeah, me neither. I have to have faith that Jesus saw something in me that I don't even see in me. Am I really his child? That's what his word says. For those who have faith in Jesus, who are found in Christ Jesus, they are now children of God. Not everybody's a child of God. Big misconception. Everybody born is a child of God. No, they're not. Those who are in Christ Jesus, they're the the adopted children of God. So, what's the gospel? The good news starts with bad news, that we are all sinners. Um, You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? We're all sinners, okay? That's bad news. But here's good news, that Jesus loves us so much that he'd rather die for our sins and what we've done wrong and what we've done to, to be at war with God. That's sort of the verbiage that the Bible uses. That he'd rather die on our behalf than have us die for ourselves. Um, we, we're celebrating Memorial Day weekend. Um, many folks are squ- quoting the scripture in, uh, I believe it's in Romans 5, that talks about very rarely will a man uh, die for another man. Uh, we're celebrating the great sacrifice that many men and women and families have made, losing a loved one for the defense of the freedom of this country. I praise God for that. Um, but we see that Jesus paid the ultimate price. See, their death doesn't pay for our sin. It saves us and protects us here and now, but not for eternity. One of the things they did die for is the freedom we have to worship Jesus. We came in today with the ability to worship freely because of the price they've paid. And it would be a dishonor to not do that first off. Um, But number two, I pray that you would take that opportunity today to realize, yes, I am a sinner, but I have been saved by Jesus. That includes trusting in the completed works of Jesus on the cross. Tony, what's my part? Faith. How do I prove my faith? By your works. It's all very simple. If you love Jesus, as he said in the Great Commission, You'll follow his commands. You'll love God before anything else. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And in that, you'll fulfill all the law and prophets and Psalms. Is that where you're at today? See, your part in the body of Christ does not come before that. You become part of the body as you become in Christ. So let's stand this morning. I want to pray with you. I want to give you opportunity to repent and pray. Sarah, do you think you could play something on the piano for a little bit? Thank you. Many of you know the gospel. Many of you know the truth of the gospel. If you know the truth of the gospel, you know that every day is a new opportunity to repent. Um that there's something to forsake, there's something to crucify. And you can do this daily, you can do it in your home, you can do it in private, whatever. You can do it here as well. This is a safe place to do that. Maybe you've never done that. The truth is without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there is no salvation. 
And so one of the things I pray for for you guys, as many of you as I can remember when I pray, as I pray for a brokenness. You might say, Pastor Tony, it's been working. Please stop praying for that. I'm not praying that you would be broken and hurt. That's not what I'm praying for. I am praying that you would realize your state before Jesus without him. So I'd like for us to just pray for a moment, okay? Lord Jesus, you are you're the best. There's no one like you, and you are good. And I pray today, Lord, for those who have maybe never never repented, never given themselves, never, never opened themselves up before you, I pray in this moment that you would hear the cries of their heart. As I may be praying verbally, maybe they're praying internally, I pray that they're connecting with you right now. That they would know the forgiveness found only in your son, Jesus. That the lies of Satan in the world would be rejected and the offer of peace through you would be accepted. Father, I pray for those today who struggle with just feeling loved by you. Accepting that, yes, you love everyone, but you love me as well. That in all of our shortcomings, Lord, you, you're still the great and mighty God that you are. That even our failures you can redeem. That there's nothing that we have done to cause you to forsake us. Father, I say that prayer for myself first and foremost today. I ask that you would help me to believe and increase my belief that, that you do indeed love me, even when I fail, even when I falter, even when I'm nowhere near perfection. Lord, I thank you for the moments of clarity where I realize I'm, I'm a lot farther from perfection than I think that I am and more often than I am. I pray for all of us, Lord. Help our unbelief in the love you have for us, for me, for the I in this, Lord. And Father, I pray for those who have been working diligently at this place for more years than I've been alive. I pray that you'd bless them for their servitude, for their giving of themselves and of their time and of their talents as they've served faithfully. And I pray for those who are beginning, are beginning to ask that question, what is my part? Where, where do I fall in the body of Christ? That you would give them the, the bravery needed to step up outside of their comfort zone and begin to do stuff and experience the joy that is only found in serving. We give you the praise, Lord. May we be united. May we work against division. May there never be cause for division. And may you be high and lifted up so that all of Canastota can be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.